Hi, this is John and Valerie Domingo, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is our Sunday sermon. It's my honor to be with you on this Sunday, December 11th. Last week, I began a new sermon series called The Colors of Christmas. The first color was green, and I said that one of the reasons green is used at Christmas is because it speaks of a time to come, that a new life is just around the corner. Today, we'll spend time looking at the second color of Christmas, blue. And the main scripture reference will be Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Have a lot to share with you, but before I do, please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to come together today. Lord, teach us from your word. May you find us doers of that word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. John Simmons tells about a grade school class that was putting on a Christmas play, which included the story of Mary and Joseph coming to the inn. There was a little boy in the class who wanted to be Joseph very, very much. But when the parts were handed out, his biggest rival got the part, and he was assigned to be the innkeeper instead. He was really bitter about it, so during all the rehearsals he began to plot how to get even with his rival. Finally, the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph came walking across the stage. They knocked on the door of the inn, and the innkeeper opened the door and asked them gruffly what they wanted. Joseph answered, we'd like to have a room for the night. Suddenly the innkeeper threw the door wide open and said, great, come on in. I'll give you the best room in the house. Now that wasn't in the script, and for a few seconds the poor little kid didn't know what to do. But finally the young Joseph had an idea. He stepped up to the innkeeper and he looked beyond him through the door that represented the inn. He made a big production of looking right and left. He stepped back beside his wife and said, No wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. There are times when Christmas doesn't go according to plan. There are times when you know what the script ought to be, but somebody or something changes the lines on us. There are times when Christmas doesn't seem to be as cheerful and upbeat as we had hoped it would be. Perhaps a loved one dies. Friends and or family move away. We struggle with divorce. We lose our jobs. We may face cancer or some other overwhelming disease. What promised to be a Christmas filled with fun and pleasure suddenly becomes a blue Christmas. It's the emotion reflected in the 1957 hit Blue Christmas when Elvis Presley sings, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue just thinking about you. In fact, there are some churches that have what's called a blue Christmas service. The Reverend Deacon Richard Spencer of Trinity Church in Osning, New York, said that the world tells people, quote, if you buy this present, you'll be happy, and it will be all ho, 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 and joy to the world. Well, what if there's no joy in my world, end quote. And so Reverend Spencer and other preachers have a longest night or blue Christmas service, usually on December 21st, the longest night of the winter solstice, the longest night of the year. A blue Christmas service recognizes the loss and loneliness that can be felt during the holidays due to death, disease, poverty, or abuse. It's a service that specifically enables individuals to experience their grief 
as well as express what they're feeling so that they can find a sense of calm and hope. The music is not Go Tell It on the Mountain or Joy to the World. It's much more somber, almost funeral-like. In some cases, the sanctuary is lit only with candles, and there are readings out of the Psalms and other parts of Scripture. One man attended one of these services, and this is what he wrote. Some churches hold a blue Christmas service for those who suffered loss, complete with melancholy piano music and dead branches laid on a table covered with blue cloth to represent the winter of our souls. I found the whole thing to be quite depressing because I was looking for a word of hope, but found none. Now what stuck in my thoughts was that this man said he was looking for a word of hope, but found none. In our text today, we find a prophecy that seems much like the blue Christmas services. Turn in your Bible or Bible apps to Luke chapter 2 verses 25 to 35 and follow along as I read. At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Here we see that Simeon was a man of many years. He was also righteous and devout, and God had promised him, as it said in verse 26, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This is Simeon's one chance to offer a prophecy about Christ, and he makes a declaration that's just filled with bad news. Look with me at verse 34a. It says, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. In other words, he would cause some to be lifted up and encouraged, but others would be destroyed. Then look at verse 34b. He says that he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. In other words, this child would face opposition. Then in verse 35a, Simeon says that as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This means that the child would expose the hidden sin and secrets of men and women. And lastly, he says in verse 35b, that a sword will pierce your very soul. This means that Mary would watch as her son would be terribly beaten and die a horrible death on the cross. For most people, Christmas is a fun and exciting time of year. But as Paul Larson of Christ the King Lutheran Church in New Brighton, Minnesota observed, unless we see the shadow of the cross falling on the crib, we're not seeing Christmas clearly. Jesus did not enter this world just to be a cute little baby. He came to suffer and die on a cross so that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might be saved. The first Christmas wasn't completely a holly jolly Christmas. As Diane Hendricks of Little Falls Presbyterian Church in Arlington, Virginia observed, Christmas is the story of a teenage girl pregnant with a child that is not her husband's. It is the story of a child born in a dirty animal stall. 
It is the story of innocent boys being killed by King Herod because Herod feared one of them might be the rival king the wise men spoke of. It is the story of someone sent into the world in peace who was condemned to death. It is a story of a light sent to shine in the darkness and the world snuffed it out. It is the story of God's never-ending self-giving mercy which was rejected and condemned. One could reasonably argue that the first Christmas was literally a blue Christmas. If y'all looked at the things that were wrong about the birth of Jesus, that's all you'd see, a blue, blue Christmas which offered no words of hope or joy. But even Simeon didn't look at it that way. Yes, his words of prophecy were definitely filled with bad news, but those weren't the only words Simeon had to say about Christ. When he first saw Jesus, he declared in verses 29 to 32, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. You can literally sense the excitement in Simeon's voice. He's been allowed to see God's salvation. He's seen the light of the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Yes, there were going to be dark moments surrounding this young baby, but they all paled in comparison to what this child was going to accomplish. Jesus had come to give light and bring salvation. This Christmas season isn't a time to put dead branches on a communion table. It's not a time to be singing solemn songs and funeral hymns. This is a time to literally rejoice. It's a time to shake the rafters with songs that speak of God's unfailing love and grace because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, this world is a harsh place to be. Yes, people die, move away, get divorced, get sick, lose their jobs and their homes. These are real hardships and tragedies a lot of people face, and they're going to happen to people we know. They may even happen to us. But the message from the gospel story of Jesus' birth is this. Praise God! Because of Jesus, we know we're not going to face those things alone. But you take Jesus out of the story, and life gets blue real quick. Back in 2005, the Ridgeway Elementary School in Dodgeville, Wisconsin, decided to have a winter program instead of a Christmas program. And of course, you generally can't have Jesus in a public school program. But one of the oddest things about the winter program was that they sang Silent Night. Well, it actually wasn't Silent Night. It was just the melody of the song. They changed the song and called it Cold in the Night. And amongst the lyrics were these words, Cold in the night, no one in sight, Winter winds whirl and bite. How I wish I were happy and warm, safe with my family out of the storm. And it goes on. Now, isn't that a cheerful set of lyrics? Not really. They took Jesus out of the story and they put hopelessness in his place. And that's what happens when you ignore the Christ child. An empty manger leads to an empty, depressing life. Without Jesus, life can be depressing and even a scary experience for people. But the repeated message throughout the story of Christ's birth is this, don't be afraid. When the angel told Zechariah he was going to be a father of John the Baptist, he declared in Luke 1.13, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. When the angel visited Joseph, he told him in Matthew 1, verse 20, 
Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, when the angel told Mary, he started with the four same words, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, when the angel appeared to the shepherds in the fields, he told them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You see, again and again and again, God told people, Don't be afraid. But you say, Why shouldn't I be afraid? This life is really unpleasant at times. It's really frustrating. Beloved, we should not be afraid because we have received good news that shall be for all the people. And Simeon said the same thing. When he saw the Christ child, he declared in verse 32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. Beloved, you don't have to be afraid now or any time. And there are two reasons in that verse that say so. First, you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is, here's the word, the light of the world. In declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus was claiming that he is the exclusive source of spiritual light. No other source of spiritual truth is available to mankind. There are two types of light in the world. We can perceive one or both or neither. When we're born into this world, we perceive physical light. And by it, we learn of our Creator's handiwork in the things that we see. But although that light is good, there's another light. A light so important that the Son of God had to come in order to both declare and impart it to us. John 8:12 records, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The allegory used by the Lord in this verse, it speaks of the light of his truth, the light of his word, the light of eternal life. Those who perceive the true light will never walk in spiritual darkness. And the world is filled with darkness. The circumstances of your life can make it so hard for you to see what lies ahead. But Jesus can bring light into your life, beloved. You'll be able to see where you're going because Jesus illuminates and gives meaning to your life. And secondly, here's the other word. Jesus is the, here it is, glory of God. Do you see that in that verse? He is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That means you don't have to face this world alone because God is with you. You don't have to face death, divorce, or disease all by yourself because God is right there beside you. And because that's true, God gives you this promise in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say everything that happens in your life is going to be good. And I'm not sure it means that everything that happens in your life is from God. But if you love God, you have a promise that whatever happens, God can turn it to good. And these two things are true because as Simeon declared in verse 30, when he first saw Jesus, I have seen your salvation. Jesus is the light of your life, and he's God's glory to you because he's the source of your salvation. He came to earth to do for you what you could not do for yourself. You could never be good enough to be good enough for God. 
You could never do enough good to outweigh the damage sin has done in your life. When you believe in Jesus, when you accept the fact that compared to him, you're a sinful person and need to repent of your sin and accept the idea that only the blood of Jesus could cover your sins, when you decide to confess Jesus as the master and owner of your life and agree to be buried in the waters of Christian baptism and rise up to a new life, when you do those things, Jesus comes into your life and changes everything so that even when this world hurts you, even when all your carefully crafted plans fall apart, even then you have a reason to have joy all the time, not just at Christmas. You know, many in this world mistake godly joy for earthly happiness. They believe that the main goal in their lives is to be happy, and they get their happiness from what happens to them. But then if the things that happen to them aren't pleasant, then they're not happy. They become robbed, if you will, of their happiness because that something or someone has changed the lines in their play. Life hasn't turned out the way they wanted it to. And so they'll have a blue Christmas, a blue New Year's, a blue Valentine's Day, etc. But when Jesus comes into our lives, he takes the blues and changes its color. He takes all that goes wrong in your life and turns it into a reason for joy and contentment. In Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The color blue shows up a lot in Scripture, mostly in the Old Testament. It's mentioned frequently when describing the fabric and decorations in the tabernacle and the temple. But as I did my research for this sermon, I found that there was one person who always wore blue. Do you know who that was? Do you know who God always required to wear blue in the Old Testament? If you said the high priest, you're right. It was the high priest. When the high priest performed his service for God's people in the tabernacle, he always wore a blue robe, though there were a couple of exceptions to this. Day after day, one of the distinguishing marks of the high priest was this blue robe. And I'm sure there are a number of reasons why God may have decided to clothe his high priest in blue, but I can think of one in particular. The Bible tells us that Jesus is now our high priest, and he wears a garment of blue as well. When Jesus reaches into our lives, he takes out the blues and bears them on his shoulders. Isaiah 53, 4 tells us that when Christ died, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. My friends, if you're struggling with feeling blue right now, if this is looking like it's going to be a blue Christmas, I encourage you to lean on Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, right now. Trade in your sorrow, your pain, your sickness, Trade them all in for the joy of the Lord, and let that be your strength. And all God's children said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God, real hope.